Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. It must have been negative five Celsius when I arrived in Kyiv and got even colder as I made my way out to the front lines in the eastern part of Ukraine. I'm, gonna, I'm laughing because it's the first time my pens ever started to freeze. Welcome. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I gotta find a new pen. A new type for winter reporting. And it was just a barren landscape out in the coal mine country of the eastern part of the country, largely dependent on coal mining, coke production, and agriculture. I went in search of a front line that I had long been told was frozen, a conflict that was no longer active, yeah. uh, more of a standoff than anything else. But I knew that there had been a lot of technological and electronic warfare being dispensed along the front line and deeper into the country. And I was keen to see how that was impacting the military stance, but also the way civilians were responding to increased hacking, increased cyber attacks. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. Russian President Vladimir Putin said Tuesday that he welcomed a security dialogue with the West as his military reported pulling back some of its troops near Ukraine. President Joe Biden responded, saying the U.S. had not verified Russia's claim and that an invasion was still a distinct possibility. But there's another kind of warfare that's been going on in Ukraine in some form for almost eight years. Today, reporter Kenneth Rosen, who just returned from a trip to Ukraine for Political magazine, on his trip across the Donbass region to glimpse the future of warfare, digital warfare, which he says has never been declared but has long been underway. Most people who know about the war, uh, the conflict in Ukraine will know that it has been ongoing for eight years. They yeah. will have known that both sides, the, Rush, the pro-Russian separatists in Donbass and the Ukrainian armed forces have been trading volleys of munitions, artillery, uh, what have you, over the course of those eight years. But Few people have really reckoned with the notion that Russia has used Ukraine and continues to use Ukraine as a proving ground for a lot of this advanced electronic warfare. And that extends beyond the front line into the homes of uh, private citizens and private entities and and, and long into uh, the cities beyond Donbass. And when you talk about the digital war, like, tell me about it. What do you mean? It's something that Experts call it hybrid warfare insofar as using both technologically advanced weapon systems married with unmanned aerial uh, vehicles, drones, cellular towers, uh, radio transmissions, all with the aim of undermining the capabilities and capacity of the opposing military. That's what it's used for on the front lines. But deeper into the country, in Kiev and the larger cities, you have malware attacks, you have denial of service attacks on on government computers and internet provide, service providers and things that disrupt the daily operations of both government and uh, civil operations. So those things extend long beyond, far beyond the uh, front lines and are oftentimes more costly, um, shutting down banks for several days, disrupting the ability of people to pull out money from banks, ATMs go down, websites don't offer uh, civil services that they usually do. Mm. And these are these are usually a higher cost than what we see normally with the loss of, uh, of a tank or the loss of, a, of, a, of, a, of a 10 inches of a front line and, and so forth. When you were at the front line, what was the mood like? What did you what did you experience? What did you hear from the people you were talking to? 
There was a lot of complacency and a lot of business as usual. This was the status quo, standing there looking out over no man's land, which is about 100 yards of fields covered with mines. There was nothing more to be done. They were in a position of standstill and waiting for something to happen, which um, anyone who's written about or, or covered war knows it's mostly waiting around for something to happen. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, during that waiting Things were happening beneath the surface, and uh, my article sought to um, unspool all the different ways that Russia was undermining both the armed forces, the Ukrainian armed forces, and the government in Kiev. I was with uh, uh, two military contractors who were driving me around the front line when uh, Pretty Woman came on the radio. There was a lot of moments when I was out on the front lines or out in the Donbass region uh, leading up to the removal of a lot of U.S. staff from the embassy in Kiev, mm. when media outlets and reporters were noting how casual life was on the ground across the country, how life went about its normal paces. And that is the case in anywhere that has been exposed to sustained war. What is it that people are expected to do when they don't have any other options but to go on living. Now, we also often frequently talk about, in at least American media, about equality and diversity and, and making sure that those are really important talking points in our coverage of both domestic news and foreign news. But the people who can afford to leave, who have the, the privilege of being able to leave and save their families and find a job that's not in-country, do so. The rest of the people are relegated to having to deal with Russian aggression and this ongoing conflict. And one of the soldiers that it sounded like you talked to the most was a woman named Vita. Tell me about her. Vita was a, a, a single mother on the front line who, when I uh, came into the trench, was peering out over the top of the parapet in the trench with a Soviet-era a periscope. Um, and she was very jovial, really nice, and, and super welcoming, and, and sort of led me on a quick tour of the trenches. She was uh, very much generous with her time, and uh, I found it most shocking that she was a, a single mother who um, was having a difficult time explaining to her son why she was on the front line and why she felt she needed to be on the front line rather than at home with him. And one thing I, I noticed reading your piece was that you talked about how Russian troops and Ukrainian troops are using very different levels of technology, partially because to combat digital warfare, one thing to do is basically to not use high tech. But I was also curious to talk more about digital warfare because some of the methods or I guess some of the results seem pretty psychological in nature. It's a combination of psychological warfare and uh, practical military tactics. The practical military tactics are um, positioning troops along a fortified front line with trenches for defensive positions and setting up in case of an attack. It's a mix of psyops and, and, and electronic warfare because the separatists and Russian-backed forces have been using cell phones and cellular towers to uh, send messages direct to troops' phones, um, telling them to kill their commanders, to abandon the front line, and and mostly messing with them, and also using that same technology to disrupt the communications between the forces along the front line. So what that looks like back in the trenches is you have those fortified 
trenches and those frontline positions, but they also have Soviet-era field telephones that are hardwired between each command post, between each dugout within the trenches in order to facilitate a a low-tech solution to a high-tech war. Mm. I did note in the article that near the end of my stay, um, when I had finally made my way back to Kiev from um, Donbass, I did experience a lot of the same things that were probably occurring to, uh, uh, were, were probably happening to private citizens insofar as uh, phishing attacks and strange occurrences with my cell phone and um, having swapped out a SIM card to a local SIM card. My, there were some bugs that weren't previously there. My phone was getting hot. Um, and these things started to worry me and put me in a paranoid state of of surveillance, which which harked to some of the conversations I tried to have with people in Donbass who refused to speak to me on the phone because of their knowledge that Russia was likely listening in. So it set me off on a paranoid track until I was able to leave the country. I was interested in your piece that one of the soldiers you talked to gave a very zen answer where he talked about how he doesn't follow the news or really worry too much about the future. He was like, there's a war, there's a war. And if there isn't, then there isn't. The troops along the front line that I did speak with did note that they weren't really following the news coverage and that if a Russian invasion did occur, that they would handle it then. But I was growing increasingly frustrated. One of the reasons why I went out to write the story uh, I was growing increasingly frustrated with the Western media in, in all in all the writing that had said that the war had been frozen for a really long time, that this was not a conflict that was ongoing, that now this has been ramping up over the last few months as Russian President Vladimir Putin amassed 130,000 plus troops along Ukrainian borders. But in fact, I had known for some time that there were this this electronic warfare that was going on inside the country and around the country, and that it wasn't a frozen conflict. And that frustrated me because it, it sort of spelled for the, a Western audience that what the Ukrainians are going through is more of a let's wait and see horrific possibility of an invasion that could kill up to 50,000 um, civilians, according to White House estimates but rather something that they've been enduring for eight years, that the Western audience and Western media and politicians had turned a blind eye toward, and that in that time, Russia had advanced capabilities that I wasn't convinced um, the U.S. armed forces or the White House were prepared to deal with. So I know that you aren't a national security reporter, but as someone who's just returned from Ukraine and from the Donbass region, what are you looking out for in the coming days and weeks? I guess I'm most interested in seeing how the U.S. adopts more stringent cybersecurity efforts within government entities. Um, I noted GAO report that found that many of the uh, many government organizations haven't followed proper protocol in, in securing all of their um, employees and, and their data. Um, and then secondarily, being here in Italy, um, in Central Southern Europe, I'm interested in looking further into the spheres of influence that Russia and China have um, infiltrated in Europe, uh, especially in here in Italy through Rome and Trieste and these other places of um, of growing interest to them as a way of, of, of getting into the underbelly of Europe and, and, and striking influence there. So that's something I'll be looking at hopefully for the next few months. Ken Rosen, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you, Annie. Also today, in a surprise announcement on Tuesday, Representative Kathleen Rice, a Democrat from Long Island, said that she's not going to run for re-election, making her the 30th Democratic retirement announcement this cycle, which the NRCC is touting as the highest number of retirements for Democrats since 1992. 
Rice is a moderate Democrat who is a former federal prosecutor and district attorney and was a Republican herself until 2005. She did not say what's next for her. And the Senate confirmed Robert Califf to lead the Food and Drug Administration in a narrow 50-46 vote on Tuesday. The support of six Republicans made up for a handful of no votes from Joe Manchin, Richard Blumenthal, Maggie Hassan, Ed Markey, and Bernie Sanders. Califf's confirmation installs permanent leadership at an agency critical to the pandemic response and responsible for regulating roughly 20 cents of every dollar spent by U.S. consumers. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening.